Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West, joined by the chairman. How you doing, Brett? The chairman in black today, Johnny Cash. <laughs> Johnny Cash. <laughs> Brian, how we doing? Doing good. Good. Doing good. You how, should be doing good. Yeah, how about you? I'm doing good. Here's the year-to-date returns, which a, makes everybody happy. As always. As of today, the close. Today is, I don't even know what the day is. Today is the 14th of September. Thank you. September 14th, the S&P 500 currently, as it stands right now, 17.75% on the year. The NASDAQ. Remember, the NASDAQ was hit over the head and left for dead last year. Up 41.73%. Wow. The trailing 12 months, so one-year returns, which would be September 13th to September 14th, right? Last one year. 28.47 for the NASDAQ and 14.5 for the S&P. So it's been a good 12 months. It's been a good, yeah. It so it's above average uh, if you're looking at norm, the norm, right? If, right. Well, the last 12 months. So that's where we stand. I think that flies in the face of 95% of the predictions that we saw before the year began. Yeah. most A lot of the predictions were down to very moderate gain this year. Yep. It's, been just the opposite. I'm excited for our client competition. Client S&P 500 prediction game, which we know is dumb to predict the market, but it's fun to see where we end up. We'll, we'll talk more about that as we move in towards the end of the year. But today, we want to talk about three bullet points. Those bullet points come from one of our, we call them our, our Hall of Fame. Definitely. Investor Hall of Fame. Buffett, Munger, Howard Marks, Peter Nick, Lynch. Nick Murray. Nick Murray. He's my guy. <laughs> we, should, we need to have like a, a, a picture. Hall pitchers, of Fame? Hall of Fame pitchers up here. You'd be up there. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. You, know, you have to retire to be up there. That's You're big. not going to be up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this comes from Howard Marks' most recent memo. Which, it's it's like Buffett's annual review, uh, or annual letter to shareholders. When it comes out, you got to read it. Uh, anything Howard Marks and, and, writes, we you have to read. And these come out pretty regularly. Is it monthly? I this think is his third of the year. Okay. I think it's on a quarterly basis quarterly for basis. Howard Marks. But this one is called Fewer Losers or More Winners. Which Buffett, is- Buffett said that one of the first things that he reads, well, that he reads Howard Marks' letters uh, – Whenever he gets them. Whenever he gets them. Yeah, so it's it's good stuff. If Buffett's reading it, you should too. You can go to Oak Tree Capital and uh, look up Howard Marks' memos. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Really good stuff. This one in particular, Fewer Losers or More Winners, had three bullet points that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to take them one, on, uh, one at a time. But it's very important. We're going to talk about winners, losers, risk, and uh, define it in a different way that I think is important for everybody to understand. This is one of the most important, I think, conversations or discussions or topics in our industry is risk. And what is it? And yep. How do we control it, manage All it? All right. So here's the first thing that he brings up. First bullet point is understanding, Brian, the distinction between risk control and risk avoidance. He says it's truly essential for investors to understand this. So risk control versus risk avoidance. Yeah. 
What's the difference? Yeah, I, I got to read uh, just his quote because he does such a good job of just defining it and, and okay. kind of laying it out. How so does he say? He said, uh, the difference, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, we're talking about risk control. Yep. Well, here's risk avoidance. Uh, risk avoidance basically consists of not doing anything where the outcome is uncertain and could be negative. So if there's a, if you have an investment where there it you, you that there's some uncertainty to it, then you avoid it. That is risk avoidance. Anything that has uncertainty attached to it would be risk avoidance. There's very few. There's very few. In fact, I can only that... there. There's only like one, and that would be U.S. Treasury bonds, government issued Treasury bonds. So, so avoiding risk, which is the permanent loss of capital. Right. Right. Let's define risk. It's the permanent loss of capital. In our world, there's one investment that you can avoid risk. Treasuries is what yeah. you're saying. Right. Okay. So what, what about treasuries? Uh, how do I, how do I word this? What about treasuries makes people, I don't, I don't even know. Like, why would you have, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are you trying to say? <laughs> talk, talk to me more on about a real, on a real return. Are you talking? Yes, you're come talking, on, talk to me about on, on a real. I'm trying to understand why would somebody want to avoid risk altogether? People, I think, uh, don't like uncertainty. You know, they like to know that if they put money in a U.S. Treasury, they're guaranteed to get back a certain amount after a certain period of time. They like that certainty. They want guarantees. They want guarantees. They like the certainty of it. You know. Now, you could argue that bank CDs, which are FDIC insured, that's government. You know, that In a sense, that's yeah. a government. So a back. CD or a Treasury, which, <clears throat> which, you know, doesn't necessarily guarantee, but a high probability that you're going to get your money back. Right. Okay, so this is what he says. You can avoid risk by buying treasury bills or putting your money into government-insured deposits. Here's what I like. But there's a reason why these returns are generally the lowest available in the investment world. Why would you be paid for part parting with your money for a while if you're sure to get it back. Yeah. So risk avoidance leads to what kind of return? Yeah, which I love. He he talks about here, talks about it right here. He says risk avoidance usually equates to return avoidance, meaning if you've eliminate all all risk, all uncertainty in your with your investments, that usually equates to Return avoidance, meaning you're not going to get much yeah. return. Yeah. So let's look. I mean, look at it right now. The and I'm, I'm let's look at real returns right now. Inflation at three percent, you're going to get five percent from a treasury. Your real return is two percent, which most people can't live off of. Right. So a two percent real return. He's a hundred percent correct. Risk avoidance leads to return avoidance. Right. They're locked at the hip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so here's the more certainty you have in an investment, the lower the return. That's just, that's almost, you can, yeah. that's the definition. Annuities. 
Right. Same thing. Yeah. Same exact thing. So from a risk control standpoint, what would be Iron Gate's process to managing risk and risk control, we'll call it? Yeah. And I think it's interesting that that Howard Marks talks about risk control and risk avoidance. And it's really important to understand the difference between the two. And in our industry, we're, we, we don't really, we're not, our objective is not risk avoidance, it's risk control. That we understand that we are taking on certain risks. A lot of it is the uncertainty with owning a business, the uncertainty of owning equities. There's no guarantee, yeah. uh, but not all um, businesses are created equal. There, there's there's a big differences. There's high quality businesses. Yeah. There's low quality businesses. There's speculation on this end. There's blue chip, high quality, wonderful businesses on the other end. And you know, so we're trying to look at all the p potential opportunities out there and try to identify the appropriate amount of the balance between risk avoidance and risk control. And there's a there's kind of a balance there in the middle where you can get good returns and also minimize the potential, the uncertainty or potential for loss. So he mentions risk you're aware of, risk you can analyze, risk you can diversify, and risk you're well paid to assume. Right. And the Iron Gate process is identifying great companies with competitive advantages, with great management, and buying them at good, hopefully great, but more often good prices. And that fourth one, if you buy at the right price, reduces your overall risk. Right. Our whole process that we talk about, Iron Gate, our, the Iron Gate investment process is really about risk control. Risk control, it's absolutely. Not, it's not risk avoidance 100%. It's risk control. The whole process, you think about it, number one, investing in or avoiding investing in things you don't understand or or in other words only investing in things that we understand really really important to understand that concept if you invest in things you don't understand you're likely to be make big mistakes with with that investment mm -hmm. number two as you mentioned brett is looking for businesses that have durable competitive advantages i always say this i'm a broken record but i say it all the time just flip that upside down and think about investing in businesses that don't have a competitive advantage. Over That's a sure way to lose money over time. Investing in a bad business that has no competitive advantage. You're likely, the, the odds or probability that you will probably lose money in that type of business yeah. over time. Yeah. You might get lucky in a short period of time and buy it and sell it and, and trade it. We're not talking about it. We're talking about investing in a business with no competitive advantages. It's a good way to lose money. The third one is management. You know, you want managers that are smart, honest, people that you would hire to run a business for you, that are working people for you. People that, that you want to partner with. People you want to partner with, good partners. We think that's really important, people that you trust. If you hire people you can't trust, you can hire crooks. Sure way, again, to lose money yep. over time. Yep. And the last thing is just price. You know, what's the business worth? And we want to buy, we call it a, Buffett calls it a margin of safety. Buying a business with a margin of safety. Our margin of safety is we buy at a discount 
to the value of the business and we call it below intrinsic value. That's how, again, again, that's another way to risk risk control. control. All four of those. All four of those things are risk control measures to avoid risk. So, so I'm going to, we mentioned at the outset that we're going to talk about three bullet points. Talked about the first risk control versus risk avoidance. That's what we're talking about now. I want to skip to the third one because it's right in line what we're talking about. Okay. And then we'll go to the second one. The third one is the risk of taking too little risk. Well, then you don't grow your money. That's right. treasuries. Right. Then you're making a 2% real return. That's not going to get you anywhere. Right. Um, then there's the risk of taking too much risk. Yeah. That's what I think about when you're saying you invest in a company with no competitive advantage. Now you're starting to get into the risk of taking too much risk. If you don't pay attention to the price at which you're buying a stock or a business, now you're talking about the risk of taking too much risk. There's a, there's a saying in our industry that the more risk, the, the greater return potential, which is false, actually. That, that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. It's, it's not the greater return potential. It's the greater, uh, um, the greater number of outcomes, the more risk you take. Yeah. Could be a, a lot more bad outcomes. You might have a few more good outcomes as well, yep. but you're taking on a lot more risk and a lot more uncertainty and that 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 phrase that we hear in our industry all the time, the more risk, the greater return potential, is really not accurate. Uh, there, there's greater return outcomes, in, including bad ones too. And what the way we invest, you know, we we invest in concentrated portfolios. We put our best our money between be, in our best ideas. That would be a terrible way to invest money when you have when you're investing in businesses that don't have competitive advantages. Think of think of the SPAC boom that's come and gone. That everyone was hog oh, I mean all oh. over the SPAC boom. Right. Well that's the risk of taking on too much risk. Uh what what uh what were those digital art things that people were buying? Oh yeah, what was that? Um no competitive advantage right. whatsoever. Right. Uh, I for, I forget what they're even called. Uh, I know some people that sold them and made a great deal of money on fools, the bottom. Yeah. But that's the risk of taking too much risk. Buying a biotech stock because a drug is going to to come out, which you have no idea about, that's the risk of taking too much risk. Yeah, it's speculation yep. for sure. That's, that's right. exactly what it's it is. It's okay to speculate, but it's, it's very risky, it's right? It's finding the balance based on a process mm-hmm. of, of risk versus reward in accomplishing your goals, which most people want growth. Right. That's the Iron Gate process. We're, we're trying to reduce the number of bad outcomes, prob- bad probable yeah, outcomes. Absolutely. By following our process and trying, in a, you know, it's, it, we're not avoiding all risk for sure, but we think we're taking appropriate risk by this, by our process. Yeah. I'd, I'd just add that everybody's appetite for risk is also different. Right. Mine is a lot greater than 98% of the people around. I have a lot more volatility in my portfolio than most. Right. That doesn't mean that that just means the outcomes could be different, which could be higher returns based on the calculated risk 
controls that I have in place. Right. There's nothing inherently wrong with owning treasuries or bonds or anything like that. You have to understand though, that if you, uh, if you've taken out uncertainty in your portfolio by owning a treasury or, you know, high quality bond, you're going to get lower returns and you have to be able to accept that. Now, if you need growth in your portfolio to accomplish your financial goals, then you know, that's probably not a great solution for you. No. You may need to take on more growth than, than maybe you're, you know, than you had thought. And hopefully you can get comfortable with doing that. You know, and if you, I think if you understand, if you understand equities and stocks and especially our process of how we minimize and, and control risk, um, I don't, th I don't think the way that we manage money is a, is a, is a, we, we feel like it's, we control risk really well. It's not perfect, but it's, it's definitely acceptable. And I, I think it's a great way to, you know, grow wealth over time. That's, that's risk control versus risk avoidance, which is also the risk of taking too little risk versus the risk of taking too much risk. Right. And uh, and finding the middle ground, which is which is Iron Gate's process. So the the second bullet point, which is our last bullet point for today, is on your man crush. Okay. That you saw in May, uh, Warren Buffett, or is it is Charlie Munger? Which one do you like better? They're both way up there. Yeah. yeah. Both right. Warren and Charlie. I like them both. <laughs> one's right. one's ninety. I think Warren just turned ninety three. I got man crushed on a ninety three and a ninety nine year old <laughs> old man. <laughs> All right, Charlie Cherry. will be 100 on January 1st. That's crazy. Yeah, isn't that crazy? All right, so this is what uh, this is what Howard marks, and I want to break out a couple things that he talks about in this this paragraph, which are important for all of our and uh, all of our clients to understand. He says Warren Buffett, arguably the best long term record ever for investing in stocks, which is why he's your man crush, uh, is widely described. As having had only 12 great winners in yeah. his career. His partner, partner, Charlie Munger, told me, meaning Howard Marks, the vast majority of his wealth came from not 12 winners, but only four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Holy cow. I believe the ingredients of Warren and Charlie's great performance are simple. And this is what I want to break down. One, a lot of investments in which they did decently. So what does that mean? A lot of investments that they did decently. That's not part of the 14 or the or the four that they're talking about. Right. Uh, it, or the 12 and the four, but what's a decent investment, a decent return. Yeah. They, they got probably market, market uh, rate returns, general market returns, nothing, not a whole lot better than the average over time. The S&P, if you've invested in the S&P over a long period of time, you're getting good returns. Yeah. I think that's what he's talking about is decent returns. Decent you're getting returns market returns. With the index. Right. Yep. But okay. see, Buffett's had this market beating and crazy market beating return over decades and decades. And so let's talk about that. That's the second thing he talks about. His performance a relatively small number of big winners that they invested in heavily and held for decades. Right. That's the 12 and the four right there. There you go. What is that though? Tell, talk to me about that. Yeah. Owning, just keeping your winners. You, you have, if you find something that's a great business and 
don't get too anxious to take profits. I mean, that's people, people, I've heard this, another quote I hate in our industry. You never, you never go broke by taking your profits. Well, that's, you may not go broke, but you're not going to make it. You're any not going to, you're not going to get rich either. So you look at Apple right now. Uh, it, it's what of his investment portfolio. It's 43%, something like that. Yeah. How can he let it go? to 43%. Right, and he's and he's had great performance uh he, in by owning Apple. He insane, insane performance right, right. based on when he bought it. Right. They invested in heavily and held for decades. This is what I hate about our space, our industry. Once it gets to 5% of the portfolio, it can't go above that. Mm. So I've got to scale it back. Right. That's not how you build wealth. Buffett bought, for example, Buffett bought Coca-Cola in 1988, and I don't think he's ever sold a share. 1988, never sold a share on Coca-Cola. In fact, Coca-Cola got pretty expensive in the at the end of the century, 1999, 2000, and it looked overpriced, and it was kind of a lot of stocks were flat during that decade, but he still never sold a share, and you know it's continued to grow and. Yeah. and He's had very, very market-beating returns in owning Coca-Cola. He bought American Express decades ago. I've never sold a share in American Express, and he's made many multiple times his oh, money in owning. Man. And then probably one of his greatest investments he ever made was in owning by buying Geico. He bought Geico. Now Geico's privately owned under Berkshire's umbrella, so it's not publicly traded today. But he bought Geico years and years and years ago. And it's created a ton of value for Berkshire Hathaway over the years. His story on that's buying, one of that's one of those companies talking the, about the big the big one. Geico is his yeah. American Express history and how he bought that and yeah. how he's never sold it. The salad the that's salad oil how, scandal. Yes, yeah. that's how you make money. Right. Uh, I, I again, if you look at our portfolio, if you're a client and you see larger positions than others. Uh, a 15% allocation to a certain stock versus a 3% to another stock. We're letting this play out. A relatively small number of big winners, we invest in heavily and hold for decades. Right. That's how great wealth is created. The final thing is relatively a few big losers. And he says, no one should expect to have or expect their money, money money managers to have all big winners, no losers. Right. If you look in our portfolio right now, we've got a few headaches in there. And I, and, and that's just because we're not going to win all the time. Right. You're, you're going to have, including Buffett, you're going to have a few losers all the time in your portfolio. You're going to have a few winners. You're going to have... You're going to have some that are doing okay. Or I can't Mark, market, market decently. Decent, if yeah. you use the term decent returns. But then you're going to have – but, yeah, the key is avoiding big losers. And that's one of the keys is not having big, big losers. Having big winners and those big winners sticking with them for a long period of time. And then you're going to have some that do okay. And Yeah. Yeah. If, if you want to be educated about the markets, print this memo up, read it. And then as you read it, look at our portfolio if you're a client. And it should make sense as to how we're managing. It's not arbitrary rules set up by academia or anybody else. This is real-world wealth creation that, hey, we're not 
creating this ourselves, but we're following the best that have ever done it, namely Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Yeah, it's really his approach. And Buffett learned from uh, Benjamin Graham and he learned from, uh, you know, other great investors before him. He's he's picked up their best ideas and adopted them as his own, including Charlie Munger. He's picked up one of the, Charlie really influenced Warren as far as buying high quality in, in businesses or Warren for years and years was buying, he called them cigar butts. You know, one puff, you pick it up yeah. off the ground, it's only got one puff, but you, it was free. You know, those kind of businesses because you bought them such great prices. And Charlie's really influenced him is buying high quality businesses and sticking with them for the, over the long term. And as Berkshire's gotten bigger, that's really helped Berkshire compound wealth. It's very difficult to do that in size if you're buying these small, not really great businesses. I think one of the best best investments by any money manager ever is Buffett's investment in Apple. Yeah. Just insane. Think about it. Textbook. He was like perfect in his late 80s when he bought that. Carl Icahn dumping it. Blah. Everybody, it's worn out. Their products stink. They're old. Right. Buffett. Yeah. Huge investment. Big time. Holding it for decades. And the return on it is insane. Yep. That's how you do it, folks. And, you know, I heard Buffett talk about Apple at the Berkshire meeting this year in May. He said, Apple are, is arguably the best business in the world. And I, I agree. It probably is the best business in the world. Yeah, it is. It is. And not to go on an Apple kick, but think about, and it's not a recommendation. No, at these prices, we do own it. We do own but it, but it, think pro- about what yeah. people are saying about it right now. All oh, the new iPhones coming out—it's just the same as the old one, just a better camera. Right. This company sucks. <laughs> it's going to, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, with that, my friends, hope you learned something today, okay. Chairman. Good to be back here with nice, you. Nice to be with you. Until next time. Okay. Bye now. See you. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.